All right, all right. So before we start, I just want to give you guys two quick announcements. Two real quick announcements as you guys are just kind of getting settled. Uh, one, you have until October 10th to hand in your application for Student Lead. Student Lead is our year-long leadership program, and uh, it's intense, it's awesome, it is a big commitment, but it's probably one of the best things that you'll ever do. We've already had a ton of applications flood in, which is awesome, but if you are someone who's kind of on the fringe, we would push you to go and do that, and then hand in those applications by October 10th. You can bring them to youth next week, you can send them to the office, you can talk to me in chat or whatever, and uh, that's good. The second Second thing that we have for you is uh, we have our missions trip. We are going to Guatemala in spring break 2018, and the application is now live. You can go to thisisvillageyouth.com, go to the missions trip, apply now, and then you can apply on there and we can get you guys going. Those are two things. If you want to sign up for student lead, you have until October 10th. Give me all of your stuff, and then you have... Uh, missions trip going on. Uh, we're going to show you guys a quick video before we start, and uh, we'll get that going now. All right. Now, I love that video because uh, that video reminds me of you guys. And obviously, I wasn't here last week. I was um, at a staff retreat with the rest of the staff. And uh, it's crazy. Like, you go away for one week, and I'm not just saying this because I want to, like, pump your tires or whatever, but, like, we legitimately missed you. And we were like, man, this kind of sucks not being here. And I hope you hear that as much as you possibly can, that we love you guys more than you could possibly ever imagine. We think about you. We pray for you guys. We, we think tirelessly and tirelessly about how we can push you to be more like Jesus. And that's our number one goal. We want to see people transformed into fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why we're here. This is why we do any of this stuff. This is why we jump around. This is why we preach sermons. This is why we give you guys snack. This is why we do anything that we do all the time and effort and all of the manpower. Like we've talked about this. People are here at four o'clock in the afternoon setting this all up so you can have an experience with Christ. That's a crazy thing. People who are never appreciated, people who are just kind of, you know, in the background and they're not the face of, of any of this. And yet they're tireless week after week after week after week. Why? Because we believe that this is home. And that's what we're trying to get across. We're trying to get across to you about what we want to be about, how we want to grow with you, how we want to teach you about things, how we want to live a life after God together. That's what this whole series is about. So the best way that we thought about doing that was to go, what did the early church do? What did those early Christians devote themselves to? So we've been kind of doing this series over the last couple of weeks in Acts 2.42, where the early church devoted themselves to four things. Those four things that they committed themselves to, uh, if you read it, are uh, that they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, which means that the early church committed themselves to the idea of learning. They were a group. They were a, a community together committed to learning. They're committed to growing with one another. The second thing that they said that they committed themselves to was fellowship. They committed themselves to fellowship. That means they committed themselves to sharing with one another, with, with actually sharing amongst themselves. They gave resources. They gave all of their time. They gave a lot of things that they had to one another because they were devoted to, them, to one another. 
But there's this really crazy thing. Uh, if you want a Bible, put your hand up and the ladies will go and bring you a Bible and you can go to Acts 2.42 because there's this very, very interesting thing that happens in this passage, right? 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So if you are a good reader of English, um, how that sentence should go is if it's listing off four different things, it should be read like this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. But the verse isn't read like that. The verse reads like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What that is trying to do is if you read your Bibles correctly, it is saying that breaking of bread and the prayers is what fellowship means to the early church. What is fellowship? Fellowship is breaking bread and praying with one another. So hopefully you are understanding why we do the things that we do. So why do we come up here and talk? Because we like the early church want to be committed to learning. Why do we do things like this gathering or community groups, which we wanna push everybody into? So the most amazing thing about this ministry is these community groups, because we are committed to sharing life with one another. Today, we're gonna to be talking about this whole idea of breaking bread, breaking bread. Because what that begins to mean is that not only are we committed to learning, not only are we committed to sharing, but we are committed to being, being with one another. That the gospel has so impacted our lives in such a way that we can remake the human landscape. All of the human experience is completely flipped around to the point where we are no longer thinking about what's best for me. I don't show up to youth because I, I want something for myself. I show up to youth because I can do something here through the presence of Jesus to do a grand work in people's lives. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And he changes everything about us. So today we're talking about this third thing. We are talking about the breaking of bread. Tonight, we are talking about, and this is awesome. I've never done this before, but it's awesome. Tonight, we are talking about Jesus and food. Come on, somebody, right? We are talking about Jesus and food, okay? Breaking of bread basically means sharing a meal with somebody else. That's what breaking the bread means. We are sharing a meal with something else. And there's this fascinating thing about Jesus, which is incredible, okay? Um, one scholar who's basically a really smart dude who reads the Bible says, when you look at Jesus, he is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's his whole life. He's going to, he is in, or he is coming out of a meal, which means that if you read your New Testaments properly, you should leave hungry, right? That's, that's the way that I do it, okay? If you read your Bible in the correct way, you should be hungry. But it tells us something about the centrality of food or a meal. It basically tells us that discipleship happens around food, Right, food, discipleship happens around food. And we all have kind of weird relationships with food. We have food we like, we have food we don't like, we like plants, we don't like animals, we like animals, we don't like plants. We're all over the place. But what we don't you know, think to ourselves is like food could actually be used to the glory of God in an incredible way. Right, if I share like a pizza pop with someone, right? And pizza pops, we all know they're demonic, right? You just heat them up. They get scorching hot. They make the inside of your mouth look like Darth Vader when he takes the mask off. You know what I mean? Like it's just scolded up in that joint. 
But what Jesus is saying is he's making it apparent to us that the church committed to sharing a meal with one another, with being with each other. Something crazy happens when you share food. I always tell the story about how uh, when someone came to introduce me to Jesus, they came and they coached my volleyball team in high school and they would just hang out with me. They would take me to McDonald's because that is how you lead someone to Jesus, right? A junior chicken and some fries and Jesus. That's how you do it, right? So he would bring me to this McDonald's and he would just talk to me about my, all like my like dumb grade nine problems. If you're in grade nine, you got some dumb problems, right? So I had some dumb problems in ninth grade and I would sit there and I'd be like, mom, like seriously, you're making me do the laundry. What am I, a servant? She said, yes, right? So, and then I would go with this guy and I'd hang out at McDonald's and I would talk to him about that kind of stuff. Or there would be like, man, I was in math class and I looked over and there she was. I looked at her and the back of her head was ridiculous, right? <laughs> Catch the reference. Some of you, maybe, okay. And then, uh, you know, she turned around, she locked eyes with me, and I'm like, this is the time. And then she, she walks away. So I would spend this time at McDonald's venting about those kinds of things. And a re really unique relationship happened with me and this guy where I felt like open to talk to him about stuff, and it all happened around food. It was such an interesting way. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna break down breaking of bread into two different categories, and we're gonna be looking at Jesus and the way that he interacted through meals. That's what we're gonna be doing. So if you have a Bible, go to Mark chapter two. This is very, very important that you have your Bibles here for today. Mark chapter two, verse 13 to 17 is where we're gonna be. And uh, it's all about my man, Jesus, right? He's going to be teaching us how to have a meal. That's what it says. Verse 13, chapter two. If you can't find it yet, just go with the next Bible book that has an M and you were close enough. Okay, 13. Uh, he went out again, he being Jesus, beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in the house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So what does all of this mean? Jesus is doing a long day of teaching. You know, he's talking up a storm. Crowds are kind of gathering around him and he goes towards the city. And at the city, how this worked was, it was kind of an interesting way of doing things. There was a dude and he basically sat in a booth. If you wanted to import anything into the city or export anything out of the city, you had to pay a tax to the guy who was in the booth. Now, interesting thing about the guy in the booth, these tax collectors, they were the most hated individuals in the world. Everyone hated these guys. Because when you went into the city to bring something in, they could charge you whatever they wanted. And they would just rob people of their money. If you wanted to leave with something, they could charge you whatever they wanted. They were hated, hated, hated individuals. So Jesus rolls up, he sees Levi. Levi's in the tax booth, which means he's a tax collector. And he says, I want you to follow me. Already that's crazy. And everyone's confused. Why, Jesus, are you telling the guy that everybody hates to follow you? No one likes that guy. Jesus does it anyways. And then he takes it a step further where he says, not only do I want you to follow me, 
let's go get some grub, right? Let's go at the table and let's eat together. And not only that tax collector, but a bunch of other tax collectors, a bunch of other people that, that people hated. And then the sinners, the sinners were a group of people who sinned, right? They're not a good group. So you got Jesus, like God, and a bunch, a bunch of sketch face McGee's. They're all just hanging out at a table with Jesus. Now all the religious people, all like the really uptight, like, ooh, look at me, I'm religious people, right? They were like, Jesus, that's not a, that's not a thing. You don't do that, stop it, no. And he said, no. These are the people who I want to commune with. For them to eat a meal with someone is to accept them. It's to be having an intimate relationship. It's to, it's to, it's to wanna be with these individuals. You can see why this is confusing to them. Jesus, why would you spend the time with them? Why wouldn't you eat with us? We're the, we're the good people here. Why would you eat food with the people that no one wants to hang out with? They've betrayed us. They're enemies of us. Why would you spend the time with them? And the Pharisees have a really interesting way about how they think about a meal. The way that the Pharisees think about a meal is, this is a way to keep people out. But Jesus thinks about a meal. This is the way that I'm gonna bring people in. Let's sit there for a moment. Think about Jesus' interactions and then think about your own. When's the last time you ever ate a meal with someone who you didn't like? When's the last time you were actually joyful? Maybe you paid for their meal. Or how often do you think about, maybe it's, it's lunchtime at school, you just hang out with the same crew of people every single lunchtime, you know so-and-so who everybody doesn't like is over there eating by themselves and you never take the opportunity to say, hey, let me include you like Jesus is. We're saying, let's still keep you away. It's a meal. It's growing. It's about being with someone and wanting to be there with them. See, Jesus understands something and he models something for us that's so important. Jesus is the presence of God in the world at this time, right? Jesus is the presence of God. So he says to himself, if I am the presence of God, I am going to be with the people who need the presence of God. In order for the presence of God to reach people, it has to be with them. Now, Skip forward, who is the presence of God in the world today? Those who have the Holy Spirit. So how is the presence of God going to enter into your schools? You. How is the presence of God going to enter into some of your workplaces? You. How is the presence of God going to enter into your sports teams? You. And the whole idea of Jesus saying to us, the presence of God dwells with people who need it should hit us in the heart. Because how often are we with people who need it and we act nothing like who Jesus is. We act way more like them. So if you are with people who need Jesus more than ever and you look more like them than you do Jesus, this is a hard thing to, for you to hear. 
But if you are not acting like who God has called you to act like, to be like, to have the heart of, you are robbing those people of God's presence at that time. And if you're honest with yourself, you understand that is what they need. If we say, man, I I want so-and-so to be saved. I want them to know Jesus vigorously with all of their life. Then stop robbing them of the moments that they have with you. Do you get what I'm saying? To go and gather around food, food together is to be with the individuals who are sharing that meal with. Why do we do snack here every single week? To get your parents mad at us that we hopped you up on sugar before bed? No. It's for you to have a meal, to have something that you can eat and, and talk with people with, to enjoy yourselves, to have joy because, because God is in the space. Every single time that a meal is brought up in the Bible, it means one thing. It means divine presence. Always. Constantly, it's the rhythm of talking about divine presence. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Isaiah 25, 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. Matthew 22, 2, this is Jesus speaking. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Revelation 19, 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Luke 7, 34, Jesus again says what? Look, this is in Tense. The son of man has come eating and drinking. The son of man has come eating and drinking. When, when food is around, God has arrived. That's the vision of what he's trying to say. When God's presence is around, it's like, it's like going at all you can eat sushi buffet, right? Okay, let's, let's, let's just pause here for a moment. Really? Of all the things, sushi is what got you guys excited. Not like the gospel. Not like Lord saved us. No, sushi. Raw fish wrapped with rice. Okay. Just want to clarify. Just want to clarify. But what happened? That's a really interesting reaction. I talk about all-you-can-eat food. And what did everybody do? Oh, man, that's a life. We were all joyous. You're all excited. Because what's the image of of bountiful food? It's, It's joy. It's happiness. That's what God's saying. The kingdom of God is like that. It's absolute joy. It's happiness. God has arrived to include those who no one else wants to include. It's challenging for us to break bread with people who we do not like. Jesus is pushing us into that direction. It's a crazy thing for us to do. Because when we eat food with another person, we do three things. One, we are uniting together with thoughts. We get to think about the same things because we're having these conversations, we're talking, we're thinking, we're on the same wavelength. It's, you're uniting over the things that you think about in that moment. Another one is that you unite together in emotions. 
You have a meal together. You're, you're having the rich food hit the palate of your mouth. And you're like, oh man, like the, you know, like the, the saltiness. Ooh, I don't know. You probably don't have those conversations. I don't know. I've never done that. I don't know why I said that. Anyways, so... But you're enjoying something together. You eat, you know, you go to Ernest ice cream and you get ice cream and you just, there's joy because you're sharing that experience. You have the same feeling, it's excitement. It's, it's this great kind of emotion that you're having and you're sharing with you and someone else. And the last thing is that you are uniting together in action. You are doing something together. Not only are you thinking the same, not only are you feeling the same things, but you're, you're doing the same things with one another. That's what eating is with a group of people. When you're, when you're sharing that experience, you're united in thoughts and emotions and in actions. Look at how much closer you are getting because you are being intentional about the way that you eat. Like that's such a small thing. It's so tiny. How many of us have ever thought like, how can I eat sushi to the glory of God? This is how, right? Be joyous, be excited, bring someone along with you. Make them feel included. Make them feel like they are a part because that is what the presence of God around a meal does. So be that. Do that. Be those kinds of individuals. Be the kinds of people who do not treat food or a meal or any of those things as a way to push people away, but as a way to bring people in. Make them feel included and loved and cared for and not ostracized, not pushed to the margins, which is what we in the West like to do. I wanna have my thing. I wanna do my little thing. Hey, you wanna go grab a meal? Who's coming? It's the first question we ask. We don't care about community with you. Who's coming so that it's worth it for me to be there? That is not a way that somebody who is mimicking and following Jesus reacts to something. You have to think more about it. You have to be more intentional because this is the way that he worked. We unite with one another in thoughts, in emotions, and then with our actions. Uh, we have another passage that we're gonna go to. Uh, if you have Bibles, go to Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. So those three things that we unite around, that we've talked about so far, we are a group committed to learning, which is the apostles' teaching. We are a group committed to sharing, which is what fellowship is. And what is fellowship? Fellowship is breaking the bread and it's prayer. So breaking the bed we just talked about is we are eating. We're getting some food. We got some food. It's delicious. The palate stuff, mm, good stuff, right? But the breaking of the bread also means something else. It has a more specific meaning. It's more in tune with this one central idea, which Jesus is going to lay out for us here in Luke chapter 22. This is what it says. And when the hour came, he being Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, right? The breaking of bread, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he breaks the bread, he gives it to his friends and he says, do this 
What's the symbol? To remember me. Verse 20, and likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Sounds a bit creepy, we'll get into that. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the men by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them would be who was going to do this. So the last meal before Jesus' crucifixion and his turnover to the Romans, he hangs out with his friends. And what do they gather around? Food. It's kind of the final hurrah, the final God is being present here moment. And he says, okay, I'm about to go and do something. And this, what, I'm, what I'm about to do is gonna be really, really intense. Okay, we all know probably the end of the story that Jesus will give his life on the cross. So when it says it's a new covenant, my blood, that's what it's talking about. Him, him, his actual, like him dying on the cross is our new agreement, which is if you believe in me and you have faith in me, you will be saved. It's the new deal that we have going on. So how are you gonna remember that moment? the all-time climax of history, Jesus himself doing the greatest and most unbelievable thing. How do you remember that? I want you to establish a rhythm. And what that rhythm is, is I want you to break bread with the people that you love. And I want you to take the cup. I want you to eat that. I want you to drink that. And those actions together means that you are remembering me. This is what we in the church call communion. We take the bread, we dip it in the Welch's or whatever kind of brand we get that day and we eat it. Now, if you've ever partaked in communion before, uh, you maybe have just gone through the rhythms, not really understanding what it's about or what it's for or why we do any of the things that we do. But the reason why we do these things is because it allows us to unite around a memory to unite around that memory in thankfulness and gratitude. Like how many of us have, um, you know, listened to a song and you're driving down the road or something or you're at a game and you kind of just have your headphones on and you hear this song and that song just kind of brings joy into your life because you just think about these amazing times or these amazing memories. And music has this weird way of doing that where it just brings you back to a time where you maybe heard it for the first time or you just went insane with this song. I have uh, my favorite song in the entire world is uh, You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall and & Oates. And the reason why, it's not, it's not the best song in the world, I know that. But the reason why it's so great for me is because of all the memories that are shared with it. I remember when I was, I don't know, 11th grade, 10th grade or something, I would randomly call my wife, who obviously then wasn't my wife, and I would just call her like nonstop and wait for her not to answer. And then I would play this song, You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall Notes, and just leave it on her voicemail. And I would just do that for no reason. Once again, like dumb high school problems, right? And I would just do that. I thought it was funny, also kind of weird. That's probably why she didn't date me for a while. And so... That song just is filled with all these memories. You remember something with someone else and it just brings joy. So we talk about that. You remember when I left you those voicemails? She's like, you can see her face like, I know, yes, you did, or whatever. And it's just joy. So then what did we do with that song? When we got married, what's the song that we walked out 
of the church with? Is that song. And now we sit, and every single time I hear that song, what does it make me think of? It makes me think of my wife. And it's remembering, and it's joyous. Remembering someone, remembering something with a group of people unites you together. I remember uh, in high school, I played a lot of sports, and uh, I remember I was just kind of getting ready. I was, you know, doing college applications, and I was, it was crazy. I was getting recruited to go play volleyball at a school, and I was having to talk through all of that stuff, and it was like a very hectic season. And I was in this, like, co-op leadership program with PE or whatever, and it was after school, and I was in the gym, and there was this um, female PE teacher. Her name is... Uh, I don't know why I'm telling her name. There's a female PE teacher. And she came in and she was like, she always kind of acted like my mom. I don't know, it was weird. Like she just had so much protection over me and she was like very protective. And I remember one time we were, it was so like real to me because it was one of those moments that you have with people. Like, you know, when you see a, like it's quoting Mean Girls, but you know, like when you see a teacher outside of the mall and you're like, this is like an animal outside of their habitat. You're like, what's happening? It was this, like, it, it went past that. So we're in the gym, and uh, randomly, like, it was so weird. She just asked me, because we had parent-teacher interviews or whatever. She goes, so where's your dad? And so then I just started talking to her about it. Oh, my dad took off when I was three. I met him one time. He was the worst. And, yeah, so I kind of just live with my mom and my grandma. And, you know, my grandpa's an alcoholic. And so, like, guy figures in my life weren't very strong. And we're having these, like, conversations. And I'm like, this just kind of dropped a tear. And then she opened up about her divorce and how that fractured her family. And the two of us are sitting there recounting horrible things in our past. And... It was never the same after that. Like the relationship was so much deeper. Like it wasn't like a student to, to a teacher. It was like, like I, I honestly see you as a, like a friend or as a human being. And even to this day, I, I walked into her PE office like a year ago and she has my graduation photo like right next to her computer desk. And it was two people like sharing a memory and being united about that. That's what communion is. Communion is looking back to a really tragic moment. It's where God looked to humanity and says, they're screwed up. They are screwed up. I think this week should tell us enough about how screwed up our world is. 50 odd people getting shot at a country festival in Las Vegas, people getting run over in Edmonton. This isn't the best place to be at times. And Jesus at one point looks at that reality and says, they are screwed up. They are messed up. But what was his whole life? What did he do with food? He didn't push people away. He tried at every cost to bring people in, which is ultimately what he did in the greatest moment that's ever happened in history on the cross. What was that moment? That moment was not him pushing us away. It was him finally bringing us together. 
and this tragic death that we, when we break the bread and we put it into the juice, collectively we remember that. And what's the hope? That for all the people in the room, it brings us together. It unites us. How does it unite us? How does breaking the bread unite us? Well, first, it it unites us in thought. We think the same. We're in the same posture. We're all on the same wavelength. The second is it unites us in emotion. Hopefully that should be gratitude and thankfulness that look at how many people around you share the same ideas as you do. That Christ died for them. That should bring you this deep-rooted thankfulness and gratefulness. Don't allow yourself to hit this lethargic Christian life where you've heard the gospel over and over and over and over again and it means nothing to you. Don't let that happen. Take the bread, put it into that juice, eat it and remember and be grateful. A life that that lives surrounded by that memory is never the same. There's this guy by the name of Charles Spurgeon. He is um, just an amazing guy. He lived in um, kind of the Industrial Revolution in Britain. He had this massive church. He's the most famous preacher of all time uh, outside of Paul and Jesus. And this guy was the guy. He did a lot of things. He did a lot of really cool things. But look at what he says. He says this, I can bear my own witness that many and many a Sabbath, my days of rest, when I have found but little food for my soul elsewhere, I have found it at the communion table. When I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for things to make me thankful or to change my attitude or for me to be happy again or just feel joy, when I've tried to look for that in other places, I couldn't do it, but I found it when I was breaking the bread and remembering Jesus. It's my hope for us. That you understand that the meal, like food, like imagine how silly this conversation is. Like we're talking about food. You cheered for sushi. Like this is weird. That that whole idea could be done to the glory of God to bring people in, not push them away, to unite in thought, emotion, in action, to share a memory that that grounds us together, to be an actual community who does not just think about ourselves, but the other person. I hope you now understand our vision of what snack is. It's not, let's grab it and go. It's, let's grab it and make people feel included here. Let's spend the time to get to know one another. Not to just go, this is my own little bubble of Christianity. Let's be done with that. Be committed to the individuals in this room, to care and love for them, to be a part of what they're doing, to be devoted to learning, to sharing, and to being. To break the bread with one another. So in the snack part of things, we, I think we've done a good job. We've been consistent and we have snack for you guys and sometimes you hate it, sometimes you love it, I don't know. Gratefulness, right? And uh, really, candy this week? Okay, calm down, right? But what we wanna start doing is, is A, I think we, we should apologize. 
is if we're saying that to be a community together and unite us together in this memory is through communion, we haven't done that. But we want to start. So what we're going to do is today, we're going to do communion. And we're going to establish it as a regular rhythm in our gatherings. Not every week, but probably every month, we're going to come together and we're going to remember. And we're going to be grateful for his sacrifice on the cross, that we could leave joyous out of this place, that we could feel refilled and refueled for our weeks to come and how crazy high school is and the rest of our lives. That we could look to the people around us and we could see them and go, I don't even know who you are, but we're sharing something here and I'm grateful for you for being in this place. That we could be those kinds of people. That as we go and do that, um, what I want you guys to do is I don't want you guys to come up, just kind of stay where you are for the first song. Some girls gonna come by and they're gonna pass uh, the bread. And this is very important. The reason why we do communion is to remember and be grateful for what Christ has done for us, which means that the people who are doing communion are those who call themselves a follower of Jesus. If you do not follow Jesus, you are in the journey, you are in transition, we would just kind of say, hold off on it. If, if, if this is the night where you say, I'm in, I want to be a part of this, I want to unite with the rest of these people in remembering and being joyous and grateful for Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection again, and life for us, then make today that day. Come find me or another leader during the communion time. Let us pray with you. Let us lead you into that. And let your first moment as a follower of Jesus join us in the remembrance of the greatest thing that ever happened. So once again, the, the bread will go first. You just take a piece of bread and the juice will come next and you just dip it. And you don't have to wait. You can just do it at whatever time you want to. You can take that communion for yourselves. And just a reminder, this is for those who call themselves followers of Jesus who are remembering this moment. And uh, we love you guys. You're awesome. You're incredible. We're so thankful every week that we get to come here, have fun, jump around, you know, elbow people in the face or whatever you guys do in this nonsense. But this is the meat of what this is for, is Jesus. It's for community and the people around us that we can love, care, and share with them. So let's pray. And uh, as the band goes and leads us through our first song, stay in your seats and we're gonna go through communion. Father, thank you so much for this time that as we are just coming together and learning more about our culture and what we're devoted for, that we would just look to you and say, man, eating with people is kind of a big deal. And the way that you've always represented a meal is always with you being around. Allow us to be your presence here in this place, in Surrey, in greater Vancouver, in Cloverdale, Langley, South Surrey, wherever we're from, Delta, that we would be the presence of God in those locations. And just as joy and thanksgiving came when, when you were around and your presence was near, allow people to feel that same thing with us. Allow us to remember your great sacrifice on the cross through communion and allow us to just grow deeper in you as we leave today, Father, that we're so thankful for these people, that we love them, that we can just meet someone new as we go through this and just have joy. So we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.